I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 31. Today in the show, we're talking about how our 2014 rut hunts have been going so far, and then we'll answer your questions on how we hunt this time of year. Enjoy. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Today in the show, we're talking about the rut. And joining me is my trusty co-host, Dan Johnson. How's it going, buddy? It's going pretty good. Um, let's see, I'm not at work for two straight weeks, so I will be in a tree stand instead. So that's really awesome, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's kind of the best of of all possible worlds. I mean, every time we talk on this show, you always say you're doing pretty good because you're not in work, but now you're not at work and you're hunting. So that's yep. good. I guess if there is any downside, it's I'm away from the family and you know, I'm away from my daughter and, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, I don't want to say sad or to bring the mood down, but she was walking around the house the other day looking for me going, daddy, daddy, oh. daddy. And, uh, that kind of sucks, but seeing awesome deer movement is good. So, not comparing not comparing my daughter to awesome deer movement, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what I, I'm going trying to go for here. I do, I do. Just as long as your wife doesn't listen to this show, we're all good. <laughs> oh, she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is actually a first for us, Dan. For the first time, we are both recording this podcast remotely. So I am in a random hotel room in Southern Ohio, and you are at uh, your deer camp. In- I'm at my yep at my parents' house, and uh, I'm sleeping on a blow up bed, in I guess you could call it a man cave. Um, where all my where my stepdad hangs all his mounts and uh, like stuffed ducks and stuff. Fish and you have bobcat uh, fur on the wall and ant shedders. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. I remember going down uh, when I was down there this spring, checking out that room. It's a, it's a pretty good spot to crash, I'd say. Right, right. I even gave you the bed. 
Mark, because you're such an honored guest, and I took the couch. Remember I, that? I do remember that. I appreciate it, Dan. It was. <laughs> I know that was a sacrifice, <laughs> so I appreciate it. My back hurt for a couple of days after that. <laughs> just, to, just to let you know. I, now I feel really bad about that whole trip. <laughs> so, oh, don't worry about it. All right, thank you. Thanks for letting me off the hook there. So, you're down there in Iowa. I'm down here in Ohio, and we're on this on these little trips because it is the rut. So, I guess you know, without beating around the bush anymore, I think we need to talk about how our hunting's been. Uh, when we're recording this, today is November fourth. And this show is going to go live on November 6th. Um, so, Dan, I know you've been hunting for a while now. I've been hunting since the 28th of October pretty much every day. Um, but I guess I'm curious to hear from you first, Dan. How's the hunting been? What have you been seeing? How's the rut progressing in your neck of the woods? Well, I tell you what, every day is getting better up here. Um, as far as encounters are concerned, uh, encounters are concerned, we have been in the right place every single hunt. Just the wrong deer are coming through. So we've seen tons of yearlings, two-year-olds. Um, last night we had a great encounter with, uh, with a three-year-old who was a borderline, but we couldn't tell if he was three or four. Um, he was probably somewhere around the 130 um 130 mark as a 10, nice. maybe maybe 135, 140, and Ryan ended up passing him. Um, I've seen chasing, um, not not um, hard chasing, but basically scent checking. Uh, they're scent checking these does right now, waiting for the first ones to pop. Um, I think I think that three year old told us something last night, and it was. He was chasing this doe, he caught up to her, and then he let her go. If that doe was hot or even close, he would have been dogging her. And uh, I think that, and I'm still seeing groups of does. I'm not seeing a single doe by, by themselves. So what I'm seeing where I'm hunting is right now these, these bucks are hitting those scrapes. They are, they're getting ready because I think it's going to happen tomorrow, maybe, maybe Thursday, um, Friday. It's going to just explode here pretty soon. It's like you can feel it when you go into the timber. Man, so what's, uh, what's Ryan thinking about all this? Because, you know, for those listeners who maybe haven't been following along for a while, you are actually cameraman on this trip for your buddy Ryan. Um, so has he been having a blast? Is he... Is the Iowa hunt turning out as, as good as he was hoping it would? Oh, yeah. Uh, he, I mean, I can't speak for him, uh, but I I asked him if he's happy and having fun. He tells me, yeah. Um, he's, he passed a deer last night that would have been the biggest buck that he's ever shot. So it tells me he, he tells me he's serious about it, and it's just a matter of time until we have an encounter with a, a four-year-old or older, and his, uh, he's, I asked him, I said, dude, you can shoot whatever you want, I don't care, it's your, it's your hunt, you want to shoot a, a spike horn, you can shoot a spike horn, if you want to hold out for a really mature giant, you can do that, but I think what we've discussed is, um, he's saying he wants at least a four-year-old, and somewhere around the 140-inch 
mark. So if those two things come together, he's gonna he's gonna have an opportunity actually on the next couple of days. Dude. But yeah, he's having a he, he's having a blast. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that uh, that the hunt's gone well and that he's having fun. And man, that's that's awesome that he was able to see a buck that would have been the biggest he's ever taken a shot at and, you know, has the confidence in, you know, the upcoming week or two of hunting left that, uh, he can, he can get a shot at a better one. So I certainly think it's possible. I mean, knowing what you have down there. So that's, that's awesome. And the uh, the good thing is, is that he has, we both have until the end of next week. So we have an entire another week yet of hunting, which is good. Yeah, you've got, well, a week and a half of hunting, really, right? Yes, yes, week and a half. And I'll tell you, right now, our trail cameras that we check maybe once every, you know, we're checking a different trail camera every day, but um, but the trail cameras that we are checking over scrapes, the, the big boys are still hitting them. Um, the fence crossings and um, some of the other places, the 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 mature giants you know that that are on our hit list are are still in the area they're still hitting those scrapes so that tells me right now that these bucks are not hooked up to does yet yeah. once those scrapes kind of dry up for a little bit I think that's when you're going to start seeing that I guess the rut what I would consider the rut the chasing the when when they don't need to worry about their scent anymore you know leaving their scent they they're chasing does. Yeah, yeah. Man, well, I'm glad that you're seeing some activity and that you're seeing some progress. And thank goodness that you had something to talk about because I have really nothing in the way of um, any kind of buck sightings, trail camera pictures, rut activity, anything to talk about. It's, uh, I think we've got a tale of two cities. So, so was Indiana a bust? I don't want to say a bust. Indiana a bust, then? I don't want to say a bust because that just sounds bad. Um, but it, yeah. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, taking, yeah. a, taking a step back, I, I hunted uh, like three days in Michigan before I took off. And that was, you know, I just saw some does and a forkhorn. So that was poor. And all my cameras still in Michigan. I've got cameras all over the place. And every single camera is just the same darn deer. I've got a bunch of little bucks, a bunch of does, still not a single absolute for sure shooter. There's an eight pointer that might be borderline. Um, but that's it. So it's just more of the same for the past like three, four months. So Michigan continues to disappoint. And so, you know, as we talked about last time, I think, uh, headed down to Indiana, southern, southeastern Indiana, and was down there for the past five days. And man, it was, it's just been un- unbelievably slow. Um, I saw a handful of does and one spike over the course of the entire period of hunting. I didn't see a single buck other than that spike. And um, just a hand, like I said, a couple does, just really, really, really slow. Just not not even, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. Just very slow. Uh, I think a combination of a couple things. I think, you know, the rut definitely is not rolling down here yet, um, at least in the specific area where I was at, because, you know, I did see a couple does here and there, but never once was there a buck following, never once was there a buck anywhere in the remote vicinity, of course. Um, 
Number two, there seems to be an issue with trespassers on the property I was hunting because my buddy, um, whose property this is, that he has permission on, one section of his climbing sticks was stolen because I showed up at this tree stand to hunt it in the morning and the bottom section of sticks wasn't there. (laughs) And so I had to jump up and grab the second section, which was like seven feet up, and then shimmy up the tree to get up to that stick. Um, So that was fun. And then the next day we found out. Yeah. And then the next day we found out that someone had stolen one of his double bowl ground blinds that he had out there too. And we had just seen them like a day, it was a day or two beforehand. We'd walked by and, and seen both the stand and that ground blind. And so, you know, while I was out there hunting, someone had come in and stolen this stuff. So oh that's, my. yeah, that's upsetting. And certainly could be part of the reason why the deer activity was so slow. If there's some Yahoo walking around stealing stuff and messing things around. So that was that. And on top of all those things, um, this property is a, essentially a, a strip of timber with a big creek bottom in the middle of it, and there's fields on either side. Um, and normally it'd be a really good funnel property because there's beans on either side, and if you know that was the case, there should be deer moving through this chunk of timber because it's the only timber that really connects anything in this whole area. But right next door to us is like a 500-acre field of standing corn. And I just think that if there was any real activity going on, I think a lot of it was going on in that standing corn. Um, cause just given what I know about the property and the, uh, the deer that my friend has been seeing down there before I got there, um, earlier in the year when the deer were feeding on the beans and stuff, um, there are some, there are a lot of deer in the area and there's a lot of good mature bucks in the area. And there just was absolutely none of that happening while I was down there. So it was, uh, you know, a little frustrating. I was sitting there for, you know, some, a couple other than, well, a couple of the days I sat there all day, you know, 12, 13 hours on stand and most of it not seen anything at all. So not the best start to my rut hunting vacation. Right. But, yeah, that sucks when that happens. Yeah, so it goes. That's, uh, that's hunting. And I really, I don't know how it is for you in Iowa. It's probably different than some of the spots I'm hunting, but it just seems so often it's so hot and cold. It'll be for me, I'll have long stretches of really horrible, tough hunting. And then every once in a while I'll get hit with that action and that excitement that you dream of. And so I'm, I'm weathering those lows right now and hoping to uh, hit a high here soon. So that's, uh, that's what I'm hoping for now. Cause I just, uh, drove down this afternoon down to Southern Ohio, relocating to, Ohio to my lease and uh, hoping for big things to come here in the next eight days I have to hunt here. Yeah. Well, it'll, it'll, it's still pretty early. I, like I said, I, I don't think a majority, I think there is breeding going on as, and you know, I can speak from my area. There is breeding going on. The very first does are, or, uh, in heat right now. And, uh, some of the bigger, like the biggest, baddest buck has got her, and uh, they're probably locked down right now, but everybody else is still jockeying for position, waiting for, the, waiting for those next uh, does. So to all the listeners out there, uh, find the does, and you'll find the bucks. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the name of the game this time of year, that's for sure. And that's you know, something I mentioned um, 
I wrote an article earlier this week on Wired to Hunt about, you know, what to do when the rut is not rocking. It's kind of me writing reminders to myself, um, you know, because I was going through this kind of tough spell. And so I was kind of thinking through, you know, trying to reset myself. And one of the big things I kept coming back to is is you need to go back to basics. Like when, when things aren't going well and during the rut and it sounds like everyone else is having, you know, action and seeing activity and you you just aren't. It's easy to panic. It's easy to kind of scramble for new ideas and new answers and new tactics and strategies and some crazy off-the-wall new thing, just kind of reaching for something. But I think during this time of year, it, you have to go back to the core, which is does. You know, bucks are either going to be where the does are or they're traveling to where the does are. And so if you focus on those two things, always make sure your strategy revolves around one of those two things and just keep on keeping on. Put the time in. Focus on those two aspects of it, and eventually, eventually it'll pan out if you put the time in. And I think that's what it comes down to at this time of year. Yeah, it is way too early to throw a Hail Mary uh, at this point in the season because the does, the does are just getting warmed up. And uh, this, that seems to be the theme. Is, this is, I guess, what you would call the, the pre-rut. I mean... The scrapes, they're still working scrapes. They're scent checking the does. They're, they're jockeying for position. And in the next couple of days, when it pops off, that's when you want to be in the tree stand. Yeah, I'm hoping it happens here soon. we got a big cold front pushing through um, over the next couple of days here in Ohio. And i I got to believe that should really get things going. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens down here. Yep. Well, and it's one of those things where, yeah, the cold weather helps, but if the does aren't ready, the does aren't ready. So, I mean, it, it, that weather's going to help, but you can't, it's not, it's not like uh, you can, you can trigger the rut. There's anything to do. You just have, you have to be patient and wait. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the only thing that the weather does do is it can affect how much daylight activity you're seeing. I think that a lot of rutting activity right. will happen during the dark if it's really warm. Like it's been the 60s the last two days here, which I think slowed things down. Um, but but you're right. It, in, the, in the end, it does come down to where those does are and, and the timing of that whole thing, which is, which, like you said, it's not triggered by some other factor like, like weather. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Some exciting times in, in the coming week or so, week or two. And... Um, Man, I'm hoping that you and I will have some good stories to tell here on our next podcast, hopefully, because, gosh, you know, really, for a lot of people, our seasons are, you know, it's make or break in this next week or two. This is really what we've been working towards for, you know, 10 months or whatever it was to get back to this point from last season. So big time stuff coming up. So, you know, with all that, (laughs) I'm going to say that being said. Well, drink another one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so with that being, <laughs> well, man, I'm struggling. So that being are said, you, are you uh, delirious? Kind of. I've been waking up at like 4 a.m. for seven seven straight days so far. So I'm I'm struggling. I'm tired. <laughs> but what I want to talk yeah. about today, now that we've covered the progress of how our rut hunts are going and you know how the rutting activity has been looking, I want to talk about how you and me actually hunt during the rut. 
You know, last week we talked to Scott Bestel. He shared his perspectives. But today I want to share our own opinions and experiences. So what I did was post a question on our Facebook page yesterday asking our listeners and readers to share, you know, what questions they would like us to answer. So what we've got here today is like 20 or 30 different questions from our listeners all related to the rut. And I thought maybe you and me, Dan, can bounce around through here and take a stab at a couple of these different questions and, and kind of see where the conversation takes us from there. What do you think? Sounds good. I'm uh, I'm game for that. And if you don't mind, I would like to start the show. That's so start the question. Start the question asking. That sounds good, Dan. Take it away. All right. Well, this is kind of uh, uh, going to cover a lot of these questions, or not a lot of them, but there's a lot of questions here that I'm seeing in regards to hunting fetal edges. And I want to tell those people right now that. If you are strictly hunting field edges, you are missing out on a ton of deer movement. Um, I think of a a food plot or a field edge as a destination, okay? So if you're not hunting pinch points or travel corridors or bedding areas, I would say you're missing out on over 80% of the deer movement in a total day. So... Maybe that's all you have available, or maybe you have a permanent stand, or I don't, I hope this doesn't sound bad, but maybe you just don't want to put in the extra work to, to do that. But some of these questions here about, you know, you know, how should I hunt field edges? I don't hunt field edges. Go try something different. Go take your stand down, move it into the timber, um, try to find a pinch point or a ridge with some sign on it, and it's going to open up a whole new world to you. Yeah, no, I think you're right on a lot of those things, but where are you seeing these questions about field edges? <laughs> I don't see anything about this in our notes, Dan. Just <laughs> random aside note. I thought maybe I was reading on the Facebook page, too. I said uh, some guy said something about, I'm not seeing I'm not seeing your movement till last light. I'm hunting over a scrape and a trail camera, and I'm not seeing uh, all the activities after dark. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's after dark because you're hunting on a field edge. So I don't know. So that's your. Maybe we should just edit everything out I just said. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we know your opinion on field edges. You do not like them. And, and during the <laughs> there rut, we go. and Dan says, get away from field edges during the rut. And... <laughs> I don't know about you, Mark, but I am delirious tired right now. Hey, I'm right so, there with you. I think I think you and a lot of the other people are as well. Yep. So I should have never. I should have never led. I'm sorry. I know my place. I'm the side. I'm the sidekick. I'm not the host. Mark, I'll let you go. I'll let you take it from here. No, you you were doing great. I was just curious about where it was coming from. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Um, but you know, there. It's interesting you say this stuff um, because there are there are some situations where people that's all they have to hunt, and in some situations, field edge hunting can work during the rut. Um, and right. I know you don't do very much of it, but 
I mean, on my lease down here in Ohio, we have a lot of edge cover. There's not a whole lot of timber. It's a lot of small fingers and edge with fields. They're secluded fingers of fields and whatnot. Um, but because of that, 50% of the time, we have to hunt an edge with a field. Um, but we're still seeing yep. mature bucks. Um, so I think it all depends on the terrain and the pressure in the area and where you're hunting and what the situation is. Um, but you're right. If in the case that if you're hunting a big old block of open ag and you're not seeing deer till dark, that's a great sign that you need to push in deeper to get to where that daylight activity is. On the other hand, you know, if you're seeing a four year old buck cruising down the finger or a finger of, you know, cut beans during the middle of the day, you know, go for it if that's what they're doing so i think it's an interesting thing to look at every every piece of property is different so it's hard for me and you to give advice to somebody when we don't know all the information yeah yeah and that's of course that's the story for for all the different topics we take and tackle here we'll share our perspectives given the experience that we have and then of course anyone listening is going to have to take what they can take from it and apply whatever is a you know, relatable to their situation. Um, so let's move on to another topic. I think Dan, that you equally hate Todd Bowen, Todd Bowen on our Facebook page asked, do you ever make midday stand adjustments or just completely change stands? If the action isn't up to par in the morning. Now I say you hate this because you hate midday sits. So I want to kind of take a two part question here. Number one, I, I want to, again, Dan, get your thoughts on hunting the middle of the day. Will you ever hunt the middle of the day, or is it just totally taboo because your knees and everything? Um, <laughs> or so that's part number part part one, and then part two. Let's talk about those midday stand adjustments that um, that Todd asked about. Okay. Well, first off, I'm opposed to for a majority of the time. I'm opposed to all day sit. And what I mean by all day sits is getting in the stand in the morning and hunting it until dark. I do, today, we were in the stand at noon. So we got out of the timber at 9 and went and grabbed a bite to eat, and then we were back in the timber at 12 noon. And we we were seeing movement at two about 2 o'clock. And then we started seeing a, a, a steady movement. I think tonight we saw five or six different bucks and three does so three or four does but if you're not seeing activity I, I, for me unless you know that there's going to be a deer coming through uh at some point if you have facts you have trail camera information that's the only way i would wait it out all day but now it's still early enough to where they're probably still in some some food to bed pattern, and these bucks are starting to fall in line between um, following these does from their bed to the food and back to bed. That they're still, in my opinion, two good parts of the day to be in a stand in the morning and in the afternoon. Now, don't get me wrong, there's still going to be those cruisers, but I think the mature bucks right now are still in some kind of pattern with those does. Okay. You know, 
I have a couple thoughts on what you said there. Okay. For, first off, I can't believe you're getting out of the woods at 9 a.m. Aren't you? Uh, this are, morning? Yeah. This we, morning I hunted a, a travel corridor that was, I was literally, oh man, I was probably inside 100 yards off of a road. So I was waiting for these deer to work their way through. They worked their way through. And then that's it. Then you get out. So it was kind of one of those things where you're not going to see, you're not going to see any movement midday. I, I, I could see when the lady turned her light on in the kitchen this morning. <laughs> that's how close to the house I was. Nice. So, so I guess to, to the midday sits, here's my perspective on this. And I agree with you that no matter when, the middle of the day or during the rut is a lower percentage sit than your evening and your morning sits, right? Deer are crepuscular, meaning they move the most, um, you know, early in the morning and late in the evening at the edges of darkness. And that's always going to be the case. But during the rut, you know, as we all know, we always hear about there is increased movement on occasion by mature deer during the middle of the day. And so my one disagreement with you, Dan, is that you said that you would never stay out there unless you knew for a fact that there was a big buck moving in the middle of the day because of a trail camera picture or something like that. And my um, argument would be that these midday movements are, they are relatively rare and you never know when it's going to happen. And that's why for me, I feel like if I'm not out there, that maybe maybe that big buck is only going to come through one time over the course of 12 days in November. If I'm not there that one time, I miss that one opportunity maybe I had for the entire year. And I realize that that's a relatively low, um, you know, low percentage sit compared to the morning or evening. But for me, at least during this two week period of, you know, the first of November through the 14th or 15th of November, I take the brute force approach. I put everything in and I'm saying this is the absolute best chance at a mature deer. And I, it might be just a personality thing, but for me, I can't, I feel guilty if I'm not in the woods the entire day, taking every single possible opportunity I have, I feel like I'm not giving it my all. And I feel like I'm, I'm doing myself a disservice or I'm not, I'm not working hard enough. And so I, even though it's a low percentage sit, there's a possibility of it. And there's a higher possibility at this time of year than at any other time of year. And so I'm willing to push it during that time when it's, you know, it's not fun. It's not, um, that's not the best of hunting action. You know, 90% of the time it's dull and you don't see anything and it's a waste, not, not a waste, but you're not actually, you know, seeing a big deer, but. I've had enough times between the 1st of November and the 15th, even the 23rd or 24th of November, where I have had mature deer come through between 11 and 1 that I never would have seen otherwise. Um, but it's, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of arguing something that I argue myself too all the time. I mean, it's just tough, yeah. it's tough to justify because it's, it's hard to do and 99% of people, you know, wouldn't enjoy it. But for me, I... I've kind of defined my own rut hunting strategy as brute force. Like I just, I'm going to kill a deer just because I'm just stupidly persistent enough to get it done. I think is, is kind of what I try to do. And so by putting those long hours, that helps me get a little bit of an edge on that, on that front. But that, that's just me. Hey, here's a simple, but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. 
These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Mass coverage. You know, know, statistically, the more time you spend in the woods, the more chance you're going to have at deer. For me, I, you know, it all comes back to what deer you have in the area, what your, what you know about your property, and for me, I know that I'm going to move from basically, and, and hunting these properties for a long, you know, seven, eight, nine years, I, I know when the movement is going to happen. You know, there are certain spots that are historically better in the mornings. And there are spots that are historically better in in the evenings. So I don't know. It's it's one of those things that every person's different. Every every property's different. Everybody has their a, a different scenario that they're dealing with. Yeah, I think an important point to make too is um, that when I say I'm hunting all day, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stay in the same stand the entire time. Because to your point, right. lots of times there's going to be some stands that are great for the morning, some that are better for the evening, and then there's even sometimes stands that are great during the middle of the day but maybe aren't perfect for either either other side of the things. So to, to Todd's question here, um, I would say I absolutely do make midday stand adjustments. Um, you know, just for instance, on Saturday, this past Saturday, I hunted real close to a bedding area, downwind of a bedding area in the morning till about um, – until about one o'clock, I think it was. And then at one o'clock I moved and got downwind of a food source where hopefully I could catch a buck cruising downwind to scent check any does that might go feeding out in there. So if you are going to stay out all day or either way, I mean, the same things that apply during the early season or the middle of the season apply during the rut, that being, you know, 
you're going to have some different types of activity in different areas at different times of the day. So it's important to adjust for that. That's fact. Yeah. So I guess it was a roundabout way of answering Todd's question. <laughs> we both kind of went on off our, our tangents there, but. Well, no, and I think, I think me and you are even in agreement. We're making adjustments, whether it's a completely different stand or moving to a different area in, within that larger area. Yes, we're making adjustments. And we're, you know, yeah, you are, you are, are sitting in some all-day sits, but it's not like what I'm doing is that much diff- different from you. I'm just leaving the woods for an hour or two and yeah. then coming back. So, I don't know. I just, the way I hunt is I'm going to a stand location where I feel I have the highest percentage of intercepting a mature buck. I think that's I think that's a sound sound strategy. Yeah, buddy. All right, you want to take a take a swing at one of these, to, Dan? Which one's next? Let's see. We got uh, Alex uh, Slosser. Do different butt personalities affect how you hunt them during the rut? Well, um, for me, it's kind of hard to tell because every. Yes, I, I do feel that different bucks have different personalities. Um, for example, um, me and Ryan were talking about this. We have a buck. Actually, it's, the name of this buck is Mark Kenyon. And he's <laughs> been showing up on, on a couple of tra- trail cameras pretty regularly. Still at night, but it's over top of the scrape. And he's busted up already. So that tells me he's probably fighting which means to me that he'll put, he, there's a chance that he might come into calling, uh, like a rattling sequence or an aggressive grunt call. So there's, there's that possibility. Now, there's other deer who I, I have never had daylight pictures of them, never seen them in daylight, but they're giants, and they're somewhere. They're kind of just hard to, hard to pattern. Um, and a hunter, myself, I've learned the hard way uh, on a lot of these things, but overcalling can damage a sit. Um, maybe not calling, not being aggressive at the right times can can let an opportunity pass. I know that it, it, it's hard to read their body and and know what they're thinking if they're at a scrape, if they're if they're thrashing a bush or a tree. That might be an opportunity to try calling. If they're real skittish and they come into an area with their head up, their ears are they're already alert, that might be a bad time to call. I don't know what are your experiences, Mark. Yeah, I think I think I'm right there with you, Dan. Um, like you said, bucks definitely have different personalities, and the, the the challenge is just, you know, to what degree can you understand that personality and then adjust for it. So, I think you know, for anyone listening, if you've got a buck that you've got lots of trail camera pictures of and you've had numerous encounters where you've been able to see how he interacts and, and what his behavioral patterns are you know keep that in your uh, kind of in your hard drive and then you apply that when you're hunting the rut so exactly like you said if there's a buck that you know you think's all busted up because he's been fighting that's definitely someone you might want to be more aggressive with um so i think that's a great a great point to make i also think and this isn't necessarily related to a personality of a specific buck, but I think also I'm kind of adding on to the question here, but I think also um, the areas where you hunt 
how in general deer bucks will behave will be different and that should affect how you hunt during the rut so what i'm saying here is let's say um, taking for example my situation versus yours in michigan much lower number of mature deer um significantly higher number of hunters per square mile so you've got a lot of younger deer and you've got whatever deer are older they have encountered many 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 hunters so in an area like that these deer are very um gun shy they're very you know any hunter shy so aggressive calling aggressive rattling decoying anything like that is absolutely you know in my experience um very high risk and doesn't pay off nearly as much as a might in area um, in another state like Ohio or Iowa where maybe the hunting pressure is a little lower and where there's a higher um, number of older age class bucks where those deer are used to fighting other bucks. They're used to maybe not having quite as many interactions with hunters. Um, so I think in addition to individual buck personality, you also need to consider the overall population of bucks and you know how they might interact with the world and, and how that might change how you hunt. So definitely I'm hunting differently during the rut here in Ohio versus where I am back home in Michigan. And then both of those places, then if I know something about a certain buck, that will also then impact how I hunt if I see that deer. Right. Right. So makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so here's a question from Dustin Hodgkin, and he wanted us to compare and discuss um, your rut hunting facial hair versus my rut hunting facial hair, Dan. <laughs> hey, didn't did Dustin kill this Dun- year already? Yeah. Yeah, I think I saw his buck. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, he got a real nice, uh, I think it's an eight-pointer here in uh, Michigan on, uh, it was either Halloween or the day before Halloween. He... Uh, We'll have the video of it up on Wired Hunt here pretty soon. It's pretty cool how it all happened. I won't give away any details, but, yeah, he, he got a nice Michigan buck. Awesome. Congratulations if you're listening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, in all in all seriousness, though, you've got a, a heck of a lot better rut beard than I do. I don't have a beard anymore, Mark. I uh, come the first day of my vacation, the, the night before the first day of my vacation, which is typically Halloween, I there's an event that I I, I call dropping the hammer. <laughs> and that is what when I shave my uh, my mustache. So and I and I, I hope I don't sound cocky or vain, but my facial hair crushes your facial hair. If there was a, if there was a fight between our facial hair, my facial hair would win. And it would either be like by a, a, just a gruesome knockout or some weird, sick submission where I would like <laughs> break your facial hairs, arms, and legs. I, I'm, I have, I'm speechless. I cannot argue that in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. <laughs> I have the facial hair of a 12-year-old. So you win, hands down. You take the cake. Next question. Next question. Click. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, um, you you go ahead and pick Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see here. Um, we already covered uh, calling question. Um, here's a question uh, from Matt Conway. If you had to pick a particular time of the day to hunt the rut, what would it be? I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Start, yeah, yeah, perfect. I was gonna say 
if I had to pick my favorite time, it's going to be mornings. Um, I think that even on those days where the temperatures do get higher, um, that are usually, you know, not your great days, the mornings still are the coolest part of the day, can still have that action that you're looking for. And it just seems that um, the deer move a little bit later in the mornings um, during the rut than at any other time of year. So you're going to get a longer period of movement those first few hours of daylight versus maybe in the evening where it's maybe the last hour. So I love a good cold rut morning when you're catching those bucks coming back to the bedding areas, checking for does. Um, I don't think you can beat that in my opinion. What do you think? I'm going to have to agree with you. Um, I used to be a big fan of evening hunts. And then as I became a, a, a serious, more serious hunter, I realized that mornings, are the place to be. You can get away with more going in. Um, the deer are already on their feet, and uh, for the most part, they're not going to be in the area that you're at, that you're going to. They're going to be coming to you or traveling through your area. So, again, with the rut, it's there's so many things that can go wrong. Um, they could already be there, but there's, there's, there's room for error, and what I mean by that is you can get busted in the morning and still have a chance of seeing something, in my opinion. Whether you get busted from your scent or from um, movement or whatever the reason may be, I think there's there's a little bit of forgiveness uh, with a morning hunt. Yeah, and it's just, man, it's hard to beat those really cold, frosty mornings when just as daylight starts to you know, come across the timber, you start hearing those footsteps coming your way and you just know this could be it. I mean, that's a pretty special time. Yeah. Yep. So how about this one? Um, got a question from Jeff Kurth and he asked us to detail our top five favorite setups or locations. And we don't, maybe we don't necessarily have five different setups, but can you go through for me, Dan, what your favorite stand locations look like during the rut? And then uh, I'll share mine. I think we probably have a lot in common here, but let's, let's walk through those in some detail. Well, in my opinion, I, I was looking at this question earlier and I, I only think there's three that the hunter should be worried about bedding areas, travel corridors, and what I mean by travel corridors, I mean maybe even two, because you could you could put travel corridors and um, and a pinch point kind of in the same category. And if you're a field edge hunter, you can hunt a destination, which would be a field edge, or maybe in, in the southern states, maybe a watering hole, or something like that. But bedding areas and travel corridors, for the most part are what I'm hunting this, this week and next week. So tell me more so, details though. Tell me more about how are you setting up on these different spots? What, what do you mean well, when you say travel corridor? Yeah. Travel corridor, pinch point, um, a place where you're going to find cruising deer, uh, a place where terrain narrows down enough to, um, condense the movement. So you're going to be seeing more deer. I see it was, Two nights ago, we dropped off a ridge where, and I, I wrote an article about it on the Nine Finger Chronicles called Pinch Point, um, where a field 
with a fence butts up against a ridge that drops down into a bend of a river. And it just narrows it down to about 100 yards. All Everything goes through here at some point. And uh, when they really start cruising, when they really start looking for does, my trail cameras in this area just start heating up. And we have a we have a stand down in one of those locations, and that is that's a, a typical rut stand. You're gonna if you're gonna be sitting all day long, that's where you want to sit all day long, uh, because it's just it condenses everything down. And it's just two giant pieces of property brings it all together in this one little piece. And I guess the, the next one would be a bedding area. And I love hunting bedding areas in the mornings because if a doe is already at bed in the evening, she's going to be, uh, she's going to be, the, the deer are already going to be there so you have a chance of spooking them. I love getting there in the morning on the downwind side and catching the bucks cruise through or the does come through, the bucks will follow. They're scent checking these bedding areas and they're looking for the hot does. And tonight was a perfect example of where we're, where we were at. We were on the backside of a, of a bedding area and we watched one, two, three, four, I think four deer, a yearling, two two-year-olds and a three-year-old come through this area and they were all doing the same thing all had their nose to the ground checking the scent in the air and um without having to go in they just are able to cover a lot of property uh, and you know finding a hot bill yeah yeah i think um i think something you said there is i think such an important concept for hunting the rut and you know, it's something we, we all love to talk about hunting the rut and we've all, you know, seen a million articles and I've written a million articles and, um, we've talked about the rut for, you know, several different podcasts here. So we took, there's a lot of things to talk about, but it really does come down to a few basic things. And you said those things right there. You, it comes down to doe bedding areas. It comes down to doe feeding areas and then the travel corridors in or around any one of those two things. And so when it comes to my setups, I just, whenever I think about setting somewhere up, it needs to be in relation to one of those three factors. So I need to be downwind of a bedding area. I need to be downwind of a food source, or I need to be in a pinch point or travel corridor that connects one or the other, or, you know, bedding area to bedding area. And where I hunt one of those three will be determined based on activity I've seen, based on time of day, um, any other factors like that. Um, you know, for me, I, I really don't pay much attention at all to rub lines or scrapes or, um, stuff like that during the rut. Um, you know, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but a lot of that sign is created at night. Of course, some of it happens during daylight and there's certain situations and certain circumstances where people, you know, have had, that definitely do have success using some of that in their strategy. But for me, I try to keep it simple. I try to find, you know, the best possible spots that I could set up to have the wind in my favor in an area where the deer thinks they're using the wind in their favor to, to check an area for does and, um, or to travel between those spots. And so I keep it, I keep it pretty simple and I'll rotate through different areas like that as the wind goes. And, and really that's what my rut hunting setups look like. They come in different forms and fashions, but they're all related to one of those three things. Um, 
you know, one other setup that I know a lot of guys have success with in certain areas are little water holes or small ponds back in secluded cover closer to bedding and stuff during the rut. If I've heard, I haven't personally had any areas that have a situation like this. Um, but I've heard a lot of times people will, um, see bucks that have been cruising throughout the day. Um, you know, midday or late morning, they'll stop by these water holes that are back in the cover near bedding areas. Cause they're, you know, they've been cruising all day or ch- chasing does. They're checking, you know, just need a little extra water. So sometimes those can be, you know, a little bit of, uh, uh, something to center in on when you say, okay, I want to be downwind of this bedding area for the morning. Oh, by the way, there's also this little water hole right here. That's a doubly good spot then to be because that's the best spot in the downwind section. So I think you can utilize some of these like secondary factors to improve upon, um, you know, the first factor being that bedding area, food source, etc. But across the board, when it comes to setups, I'm thinking about those three basic categories and then uh, narr- narrowing it down from there. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want. And mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Yep. Yep, I think we covered just about all of them. Yeah, there's, again, I, I just think it, we sometimes you know, work our way into circles when we start talking about hunting the rut. It's, it's pretty basically simple. Get, get in those basic spots, put in the time. And, um, that's, that's what really comes down to. So that said though, there are, you know, some different tricks of the trade and things that you can do to improve upon your odds of success in a situation like that. And there's a question here from Taylor, Taylor Oxendahl, I believe it is how, uh, say that name. 
And the question is, are there any disadvantages to using a decoy during the rut? And we talked a little bit about decoying last week, Dan. Uh, I know you don't do a whole lot of it, so I'll share my perspective on this because I've done a decent little bit now recently and I've read a lot about it, talked to a lot of people about it. Um, And so, yes, I would say there definitely are some disadvantages to using a decoy. And the big disadvantage is that it can spook deer, especially does. Um, From my experience and from what I've heard from a number of other people, that's the most common thing that's going to happen is does will come into the field, you know, before any bucks do, and they see the decoy, they get closer to it, they start circling around it, they're stomping around trying to get it to move, it doesn't move, they eventually get spooky, and they clear the field, or they start snorting, or they, you know, get uncomfortable, and if that happens, that could hurt your chances of a buck ever making an appearance and coming out there and and actually seeing the decoy and getting interested in it, so I think there's that inherent risk at all times. So for me, um, I factored two things into my decision on whether or not I'm going to use a decoy. Um, you know, number one, it's got to be the right time of year, and that right time of the year is now. You know, this kind of first couple of weeks in November when those bucks are feeling a little bit uh, frisky, and, or not frisky, but kind of feisty, I guess, and wanting to, uh, to, to duke it out. So this time of year, I would consider using decoy. Um, but then I'm also going to be thinking about what's the population dynamics where I'm hunting. So, for example, in Michigan, on one of my properties there, I've got a huge doe population. Tons and tons of does. Too many does. Not as many bucks. And I know if I'm setting a decoy out in a field, there's going to be 10, 15, 20, 25 different does that are going to be coming out into that area. And every darn one of them, I'm pretty sure, is going to see that decoy and start making a commotion about it. So that's a situation where I would never use a decoy because I know I'm going to be spooking deer with it. Now, on the opposite side, on my Ohio lease, really low population, at least relatively low population of does. I might hunt a full day and not see a single doe, but I might see three or four bucks during the rut. So this is a perfect situation for a decoy because there's a, a much lower chance of spooking does. But if I do see a buck there's a really high probability he's going to come in and check out this contender. So I'm definitely thinking those through, through those two things when it comes to using a decoy. Um, another question that someone had asked was, you know, should they put both antlers on the decoy or just one or none? And I read about this. I think I might have mentioned it on one of the podcasts earlier in the year. Um, but I'd read from a couple different people and, and got some tips from a couple folks about using just one antler on your decoy in that that's kind of a, a sweet spot where it's, you know, with that antler, it's enough to, to get a buck riled up. He sees another buck. Um, but at the same time, if that deer is maybe not the most aggressive buck in the world, he still won't be intimidated by a one antler buck. So you've got a good chance of bringing in just about any deer versus if you've got a huge double, you know, two big antlers that might spook off a few bucks. So I go with the one antler route. Um, but that's, that's just me and from what I've heard. So something to think about there. Um, I'm definitely going to be testing out the decoy here in the next week in Ohio, and I've got high hopes for it. So um, I guess hopefully I'll have more to report on that in the coming days. Cool. Hope it works. Me too. So what's next, Dan? Let's see here. Um, I just uh, scanned all the way down to the uh, to the bottom. And it's it's kind of funny that this question was asked because all day in the stand, 
me and Ryan are chit-chatting about products and talking about what works, what doesn't work. And um, Christopher Randall asks, dump your backpack out and empty the pockets of your Sitka gear plug for you, Mark. And tell us what your essential equipment list is down to the brand. Well, I'm just going to start start off real quick. We've been using uh, a product called Nose Jammer. And we're, it's like a vanilla extract or something like that. I don't know the science of it. You'll have to look into it. But you spray it on your your uh, your boots and on your clothing and stuff when you walk in. And it's supposed to overwhelm their olfactory senses or whatever. And we we're finding that it is working and it is working very well. I don't, I don't know. We haven't been busted coming in. We've had uh, deer come in from our uh, access route. Um, they've crossed our paths and not one has blown at us or busted or even picked their head up to the, actually the, the three-year-old um, buck that Ryan passed last night crossed our path and didn't flinch. Jeez. It's, so it's funny that, that that's one product that off the top of my head. You're like the fourth person in the last like month who's mentioned nose jammer to me. And I kind of wrote it off originally just as a gimmick, but I keep on hearing yeah. over and over and over. So literally on the way down here to Ohio, I was trying to find a sporting goods store to stop at and try to buy some. I didn't, I didn't yet, but I'm yeah. Between you and the couple of people that told me about it in the last week or two, You've got me convinced I need to try it, so I will. Uh, I'll be testing out the nose jammer too. Right, right, all right. So now it's your turn. Um, what's uh, what's a product that you're loving? Product that I'm loving right now. Oh, jeez. Um, well, how about this? What's, what's kind of a product that you that you that you rely on? I feel like I. I mean. I don't. I mean, I'm not going to beat on the the dead horse because I talk about we talk about Ozonix seems like every episode. So that's something I rely on a lot, but I won't talk about it anymore. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't really use a whole lot well, of products, Dan. Put it this way. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I I've got a few things in the tree with me. I'll just I'll write. I've got an Ozonix machine. I've got my camouflage. I've got my bow. I'm sitting in a tree stand, and I carry one grunt tube, some rattling antlers, and a, a wind checker. And that's basically it. Um, you know, I, right? We use scent eliminating sprays and different things like that. But there's not any one. Yeah, I, I have certain brands I like and use and stuff. But there's not any special secret product or anything I think I'm using that's helping me. You know, night and day changing how I'm hunting. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of good products out there, and there's certain brands and products I trust and that I use, and you know, I'm very happy with. Um, but I do think sometimes people get too caught up on gear and thinking that makes or breaks how they hunt and i think um and i'm not i'm not trying to sell short any of these really great companies out there there's lots of really good gear out there um but i just think at the same time you know there's guys who are killing really big deer using some stuff from the 80s so when it comes down to it i don't think we sometimes we uh we use gear as a crutch when lots of times we don't need to so I don't know. I I agree. I don't think gear has anything to do with it, you know. And any bow with any broadhead 
placed in the right spot will kill a deer. You know, any camo in my, you know, any camo in the tree, if you're not moving, you can, you have the opportunity to kill a deer. There are things like, you know, we talk about azonics all the time, blah, blah, blah. We feel that's something innovative that we talk about. But back to all the basics, there are people killing giant deer every year who are in jeans and hooded sweatshirts. So, you know, it is what it is kind of thing. Yeah, and there's definitely things that help, you know. Um, certain bows might shoot better than other bows, or there will be a certain set of camouflage that you feel works best for you or I feel works best for me, and, and there certainly is. I've got my preferences, and I think that there's certain things that give me an advantage. Um, but, you know, to each their own. You know, uh, you know the example of like the the bow shooting a bow is. I mean, there's a lot of really great bow companies out there. I shoot a bear bow. I absolutely love it, and you know that's what I feel really confident shooting. Um, but I know you shoot. You know, I think you shoot an elite, and I'm sure you feel really good shooting that bow, and you're really happy with that bow. And I'm sure there's guys out there that shoot Hoyts, and they love their bow. And um, I think for a lot of these different types of gear purchases, it comes down to more so, you know, what's the right fit for you personally. And what you're comfortable with. Yeah. And so I think it comes down to you give some different things a try, find what works for you, find what you're comfortable with, find what company and company ethos or brand or whatever you feel like you, um, you know, identify the most with and, and then go with that. Don't, you know, don't let, uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> don't let T-Bone tell you that the, that the can cooker is the best crop pot on the market. Well, now he's not going to come on the show, Dan. <laughs> oh, he will. <laughs> All right. Um, so what do you think about this? Paul Shu, I think is how you pronounce his last name, brings up a great question. He talks, he asks, you know, if a hot doe passes out of range with bucks in tow, in what situation would you pick up and move to take advantage of that versus hanging tight and staying where you're at? So when you see bucks chasing a doe do you move to get in there where they were or do you stick it out where you are and hope that they come back closer to you what do you do dan well unfortunately if uh if a doe is being dogged by one or several bucks it's an irregular movement so statistically she's probably not going to come back in that same location again um if you already feel that you're in the best spot stay in that stay in that spot i wouldn't be this time of year like we've mentioned it's chaos in the timber nothing there's no pattern you know Uh, a doe is going to do anything that she can to get away from these bucks if she's not ready to breed or has already been bred so there's no there's no rhyme or reason that she's doing what she's doing she just feels pressure from these bucks and she wants to get away from them yeah i think um I think I, I agree mostly with what you said. Yep. Um, that's most of what I've seen. Um, and so I, I usually don't pick up and relocate after seeing something like that. But I have heard repeatedly from a lot of other really good hunters that have seen does circle when they've been being chased for long periods of time. I have heard lots of times about cases where they'll circle back through the same general area a couple times. And in those situations, if that's true, if that happens, it might be worth moving in and trying to get into that area. But I, I, in my experience, I haven't, I have not seen that myself. So I tend to, excuse me, I tend to stick it out where I am and uh, trust my instincts on why I originally sat there. 
Um, now to another point you said though, Dan, you mentioned the fact that you know during this time of year the woods is chaos and there's no patterns to anything going on, mm-hmm. and that's right, commonly held belief. Um, but to a degree that is wrong. Um, and, and when I say wrong, we all it's true, right? There's a lot of chaos in the woods, but there is some level of a pattern that is that is going on, and um, I think we inherently know this. Um, and research has recently shown this. I can't remember if this is on our our regular podcast, Dan, that um, that this was discussed, or if it was on the Rules of the Rut podcasts. Um, but Steve Bartilla had talked about this. We had him on the show as a guest a few weeks back, um, and he talked about the fact that he does believe that you can pattern deer during the rut that you can pattern bucks during the rut um and that he's repeatedly seen it he's seen these same big mature deer during the rut continue returning to certain areas and there was recent research done in texas where they put gps collars on a bunch of bucks and monitored their movements during the rut and they found the same thing and it makes sense and what they found is that almost all bucks have a certain number of what they called focal points essentially hot spots that they came back to repeatedly every, I think it was 24 to 48 hours. They would cycle back to these spots over and over and over again. So they were repeating their movements. What they were doing is they were coming back to doe hotspots, doe bedding areas. So they would check a doe bedding area, move on to the next one, check that doe bedding area again, move on to the next spot, check that doe hotspot. And whenever they did pick up a hot doe or a doe they were interested in, then they'd chase and there'd be chaos and they'd run around and they would go off and on and, you know, seemingly not on any type of um, patternable travel. But then whenever that ended, or maybe he spent 24 hours with that doe and he's done with her and he's ready to move on to the next one, then he returns to that basic cycle. And this has been this has been proven now sounds like a number of studies so i think the the key is identifying in these cases when there's a buck that's utilizing your properties um is to recognize that they do have these focal points if you can identify those focal points you might have a chance at figuring out a very general idea of what this buck might do not that he's going to be he's not going to be doing it every day um that you're going to be able to see but in lots of cases if you're in that core area these bucks are staying closer to home than I think a lot of us originally believed. Um, of course, there are some of those different excursions where they take off here and take off there, but they're a little more consistent than I think you know most of us have always talked about. Right, and I agree with what you said as far as you know the, the focal points. But uh, in regards to Paul's question, I wouldn't be moving a stand based on one hot doe running through your area. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm not saying what well, I, I guess my response was not to not to make a decision based off one, you know, one thing you see in the woods. Um, go with what, you know, the history of that area has shown you in previous years. Um, if if you think a doe's coming back to the same area, stick, stick, uh, stick to that area. You know, don't be moving a stand because you saw a hot doe run across the ridge, um, you know, uh, one day. So. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100% agree with you on that one, Dan. Well, what else do you think we, we should cover here, Dan? Any, any other questions here on the list that you want to uh, tackle? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily a question, 
you know, as it is more of a reminder. You know, today, I'll be honest with you, we were were, um, coming into an area. We were setting up. I had my safety harness on and uh, my tree stand flipped. And, you know, nothing bad really happened, but I had to step up on another branch while Ryan adjusted my tree stand for me so I could get back on it. And what my point is, as we start hunting, we get uh, we get tired, we get frustrated, we we start to lose sight of maybe what we think are simple, but are actually the most important things, like our our safety and other people's safety, to to really slow down and you know check your gear, make sure it's working right, shoot your bow, um, you know make sure you're you're doing the right thing not only for your safety but as far as the hunt is concerned too uh you know don't take shortcuts um don't don't slack because you know you're tired or or i don't know just just use your brain and slow down and and make sure you're thinking soundly before you do make a decision or you do go into a new spot or you know check the wind you know put all the information you have together uh, I know this is kind of one big thing, but I don't know. It's just something that kind of crossed my mind. Um, I probably stepped on my tree stand without really checking on it today. And, you know, some of it was probably because I was tired. Some of it was probably because I was in, in a hurry. Um, but nothing bad happened, but you never know. Uh, any, it's one of those things where anything can happen at any moment. Yeah, it's a great point. I think, like you said, it's, especially this time of year where a lot of us are on a vacation or something where we're hunting for seven days in a row or 14 days in a row or whatever, and we're putting really long hours in, um, it's easy to get sloppy. It's easy to get tired. And, um, whether that's with something related to safety, like in your case, or if it's, um, you know, when it comes to execution of your hunting strategy or, you know, maybe you're tired and you just, yeah, I just want to get back home. I'm just going to walk right through the middle of that field coming out of the stand at night or whatever it might be. Um, we need to remind ourselves that you can't be sloppy even during the rut. These are still smart, smart animals. Um, and, and then, you know, things outside of the hunting point too, you got to make sure you're being careful, being smart, doing things the right way. So it's a beautiful, awesome, fun time of year, but it's not, it's not time of year where you can be lax with what you're doing either. Right. And I think the, the very last thing for me would be, Remember why you're doing this. I know. I just remember the very first time I ever went on a bow hunt. I had a garage sale bow with every every arrow was different. With every broadhead, it was different. I think I was maybe 13 years old, and I got within like five yards. And probably uh, it was a, a homemade tree stand built out of two by fours and L brackets. Um, like uh, iron L brackets and it just, I had such a blast and I had so much fun. And now there's so much pressure I feel from Facebook and from others, you know, there's a little bit of antler jealousy, so to speak that remember why, remember why you started doing this in the first place and, and have, and have fun. Cause this is, that's what this is all supposed to be about. It's supposed to be fun and relaxing and you're supposed to enjoy yourself. That's, I think that's the most important reminder we can leave anyone with. And it's so ironic because, you know, this is the time of year that, 
you know, so many of us look forward to, you know, all year for the rut. We're so amped up for this time period. Um, and we talk about it and talk about it. We can't wait. And, um, I almost feel like it's because of all that hype and all those expectations that we put ourselves about the rut that at least for me, and I, I imagine from what you're saying and from what I've heard from other people that a lot of other people feel this too. Um, like you said, I, there's a tremendous amount of pressure and I, I end up getting, I wish I wasn't this way and I need to work on this, but I get more stressed out than at any other time of year, this time of year. This is when I'm the most frustrated and the most stressed out. And it's, it's ridiculous because like you said, this is, we're supposed to be having fun with it. This is, you know, what we have been looking forward to. So remembering why, why you're doing what you're doing is, is great advice. Um, and yeah, it's funny. My, my wife actually texted me last night, um, kind of, she knows me pretty well. She you know, just said something along the lines of, you know, I know you're already getting frustrated, Nancy, but you know, she said exactly, exactly what you said, Dan. She said, you need to remember why you do this. And, um, you know, yep. you, you do this because you, you chose this challenge because it's just that it's a challenge. So, you know, focus on the joy, focus on the adventure and knowing, you know, that all these, you know, all the great accomplishments that eventually will come, you know, they're worth the struggle. So I think, uh, have fun with it. And, um, you know, like you said, Facebook, I think there's a lot of Facebook envy out there and seeing everyone else killing their deer. Um, I think that weighs on people and, you know, just, just have fun with it and don't get too stressed out. And, you know, I'm just as, I'm more guilty than this of probably anyone. So this is me <laughs> preaching to myself, but, um, it's a mental game. I know we talked about this last week. Um, but I think the rut in general, it's, it's all about, it's, you know, stick to the basics for me. It's, you know, hunt those couple core areas, put in your time, hunt hard and stay positive, stay focused, you know, keep the right attitude. And if you can grind it out and do all those right, all those things, um, while, you know, still you know, making sure you're having fun, enjoying yourself, you, you can have success. And even if, you know, maybe the, it's not in the cards and you don't kill your buck, but if you focus on having the right attitude, you're still going to have a good time doing it. And I think that's the most important thing here. So I don't know. Successful- season a successful season doesn't necessarily have to end with a kill exactly so. exactly so i think that's a good place for us to leave things here dan um i don't know i hope um i think we kind of rambled all over the world on this one dan i hope it was still yeah. useful hope it was useful to people and <laughs> um i know that you're talking on a cell phone in southern iowa at your parents place and i'm in a random hotel room so I hope that everything turned out okay. Um, but we're doing our best here in the middle of the rut to keep uh, keep the podcast going. So we're gonna we're gonna keep at it, and we hope that you guys out there listening do too. And hope you're hunting hard and having a blast. Um, so Dan, if you don't have anything else, I will. Uh, I think we're gonna wrap it up. What do you say? I think that's good. I just wish everybody who's listening good luck, and I I hope all your wildest whitetail dreams come true. I like it. I feel like now we should have the Disney theme song playing or something. Or like... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then let's close the show down here. So that said... Thank you guys all for being here with us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, as we always ask, we really appreciate it if you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It helps a ton, and already 102 of you have done that. 
and gosh, we appreciate it. I go on there and read the reviews and uh, just love hearing what you guys think about the show. And I'm so glad to hear that uh, you're enjoying it and that we're helping you out. Uh, I've gotten so many cool messages and tweets and Facebook um, you know, emails and stuff just talking about how people are enjoying the podcast on their drive to work. Um, or a guy sent a message saying that he was on a flight from Houston up to Wisconsin and was listening to the podcast and it was helping him get through the flight, um, looking forward to hunting and stuff. So that's just so cool. And I'm just um, privileged and honored and excited to know that to know that people are enjoying what we're doing here. So thank you for that. Speaking of thanks, as always, we always want to thank our partners who do help make this show possible and keep us on the air. So big thanks to Sick of Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Huntsoft, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. Thank you all so much for joining us here today on the Wired to Hunt podcast. And I hope that the rut hunting, you know, like Dan said, I hope your whitetail dreams are coming true. Hope the hunting has been good. And I hope you guys have some really, really awesome encounters in the days to come. So good luck out there and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.